Here we go. Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> I think a very famous story that I think even people who don't ever go anywhere near church know. Reading from verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree, about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food, until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I wonder if I met you and if I asked you the question, what's your story, what you'd say to me? The cultural commentator and pastor, Mark Sayers, uh, describes you and I. He says, human beings are meaning-making machines. Meaning-making machines. We seek meaning in all things. And Sayers comments that we seek that meaning through the stories we tell. Um, One of my favorite podcasts at the moment is Nick Robinson's Political Thinking. And he talks to an awful lot of people, and generally he talks about what is going on in our country at the moment. And what is fascinating, just listen to the Stephen Kinnock one, is all of the thinking is located in the story of the person he is interviewing. He doesn't just set them up a series of propositions, he finds out about them and their story. And that then opens up a conversation about why they think what they think. The problem with our world is that we live in uh, what is called a secular world, post-Christian and secular world. Um, And secularism is set up to make us do two things. Make us, number one, a cynic question everything, and then also um, to make us doubt, to make us cynics who constantly doubt. 
Leslie Newbigin, writing in the last century, said what would happen with secularism is it would end up robbing us of meaning because it would, it would um, push to one side all what we call meta-narratives, big stories, and say they're not, that, that's not it. And then would constantly have us questioning and meaninglessness would arise, which would create a world of anxiety. Newbegin said that what would happen is that we would return back to other religions, but they would be political religions, and we prayed about our country earlier on, and that we would find ourselves in an anxious state. I wonder if that describes the world we are in now. And the problem is, is he said that secularism robs us of discovering meaning. It robs us of the ability to discover meaning because it has wiped away stories. Um, French theologian who um, is very... uh, I don't know if he's very big, but he's very big on the book of Genesis. Henri Blocher uh, writes this, that actually if you want to understand the principles of a story, you need to understand its beginning. The beginning of a story will reveal its key principles. Um, And we are working our way through Genesis. And we said it's going to be a really good book for us to learn how to follow Jesus in a post-Christian world because Genesis is a book about God's call to men and women to follow the hymn in a world that has turned its back on him and where most people aren't looking for God. And our world is not so different. So we have reached chapter 3. There's Adam and Eve, there's a serpent, uh, and there's an apple. I think lots of us kind of possibly know the story. And it is a really important part of that story of the beginning. So we're going to spend two weeks on Genesis chapter 3. And this week, I'm going to filter the the themes of Genesis uh, through um, kind of an understanding of creation, evolution, and science, and faith. And there's a couple of things I want you to hear as I go into this. Number one is I am not giving a science and faith talk because I'm not a scientist. Um, What I'm going to suggest is that in the coming week we will put something up on the stories, the blog bit of our website, which links to the kind of books and the kind of lectures that you can read by people who know far more about how science and faith interact, far more about the science of how we got here and all that kind of thing. But what I am going to do is take a step back and talk about the truths that this chapter reveals to us that we must apply to however we think about how we got here. So essentially what I'm saying is I don't mind if you are here and and you say I'm fully signed up to evolution. And I don't mind if you're here and you say, actually I don't know what I think. And I don't mind if you're here and you say, I, uh, I read Genesis literally and I think the world was created in six 24-hour days. I, I, I honestly don't mind. I'm not going to, because, I, because I, I'm not an expert on those. What I am going to say is that lying behind, if you are a follower of Jesus, all of those three points are some truths that you must agree to. Um, essentially, they're the kind of like, the word is dogma, but they're kind of things that we've decided as a church that, that kind of we, we all agree and are correct. Now, some of the scientists are already going, hold on a second, you're saying theology is above faith. Yes. <laughs> but actually, that's not, that's, you know, somebody who's an atheistic scientist will say, that's above everything else. And somebody who's a psychologist will say, well, I, I filter everything through psychology. And if you're a historian, it's what our world does. We filter everything through the thing that's most important to us. So I'm putting out today that actually as a follower of Jesus, that actually our theological understanding of the themes is what is most important. And therefore, then... Any view that we hold must line up to those. Make sense? Excellent. Right. I've just I've done the reading. Right. There's three things I've, I've put. I've, it says reading here, but I've done that. Excellent. Um, I'm now fooling myself that I've bought some time, but I haven't because I've already done the reading. And um, there are three things I think this passage are three themes that I think that we need to kind of hold on to um, with whatever view we hate we take about how we got to where we are. Um, the first theme for me jumped out in um, verses. 
1 to 7, which is the encounter between uh, the serpent and the woman and then, and then the woman and Adam and the apple. Um, and it's this, is that actually uh, creation is good. Creation is good. Um, in, in Adam and Eve and what they do, and in the conversation with the serpent, there are a few things that actually um, Eve, first of all, and then Adam, is kind of encouraged to deny. Number one is kind of the good and the completeness of creation. Actually, in terms of, is, 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 it, is there more to this? Is it, you know, is it better than it is? Um, what if you eat that tree? Which also means, could it be worse than it is? Uh, number two is the goodness of God, which is actually where he starts. Did God really say? Uh, and, um, and then lying behind it as well is actually what it is to be a created human being in the image of God. Um, so, so actually, could you be more? Could, could you be more? And, and Eve is encouraged to deny those things. Um, and and what, we, what we would term naturalistic evolution, so that's kind of a view of evolution that removes God completely, denies those in different ways. There isn't a God. Um, the, the creation, the goodness of creation um, is, is there, but also the kind of the mess of creation is there. And actually, in human beings are just animals that, that got ahead of everybody else. So it denies that there is a good God. It denies that creation had a good original state. And it denies that there's anything unique about you and I. And so it's important when I think we think about how we got to where we are to say that the Bible is very clear the whole way through um, that evil, suffering, and death do not belong to the natural order as as it started. Evil, suffering, death do not belong to the natural order as it started. Um, that, that actually God, when God made man, he said, and it is very good. Now, there are a few, um, a few problems that come up. Number one is if, you know, so where did the serpent come from? You know, like God says, don't eat, don't eat of the tree. You think he might say, don't eat of the tree. And by the way, if you see an animal talking to you and you're not Dr. Doolittle, go, hold on a second, that's a bit odd. Um, but where did the serpent come from? And there's an understanding there that actually creation isn't, our creation, our world is not isolated. And actually, we believe that as spiritual people. Um, and there's a sense that actually uh, creation is open and dynamic. It's not closed or fixed. We'll come on to why that's quite important for us uh, in a moment. And that actually that in terms of there are other fallen beings um, at work. And so, so, so that the existence of the serpent kind of leads us to a kind of a, an understanding of our linking in the supernatural and in all sorts of other realms to, to other beings and other creatures. And also this sense of the creation is open and dynamic, not closed or fixed. Uh, and, and so what we are invited to do is put our trust in a good God of a good creation. We are invited to put our trust in a good God of a good creation. And however we line up here, so maybe we line up uh, in, in a theistic evolutionary um, worldview, we need to have an understanding of the goodness of creation and we need to be able to explain how we got, you know, I'll say I don't quite know, but actually how you got to where you, how we got to a goodness. Because the Bible is quite clear on that. I'm back over here, we need, you know, we, we can say that, but then we also need to have an understanding that actually uh, there's an open and dynamic part about it because the serpent has come in and there was earlier on in the chapter the bit about subdue. Um, but that's the first theme, creation is good. And we need to share this to a cynical world, this view of our good God and a good creation. Um, because actually, um, whatever you think in terms of faith, most, most people out there think you're weird anyway. Okay? 
Let's just, let's just name that one. Um, a, a few years ago, I was um, after a curry at hockey, and we were in the bar, and I was talking to the captain of the team I was playing for, and he asked me the question. He said, why did you decide to become a vicar? And I said, well, because God called me to. And he went, no, 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 really. I mean, why? Did, why? why? And I went, because oh, God called me to. And he said, no, and he, said, he said, put that to one side. He said, I mean, he said did you think it was like I was a social worker a vicar? And you thought, actually, vicars don't get paid much, but they do get a house. I went, what? And he went, well, he said, and then he looked at me, and this is kind of a compliment. He said, because actually, he said, I reckon you're quite bright. <laughs> I said, oh, well, I'm fooling you. And he said, he said, so he said, you don't believe this stuff, do you? I said, what stuff? He went, you know, heaven and hell, Jesus, you know, good God created the world. He went, basically everything that, you know, and I went, actually, I do. And he kind of looked at me and went, okay. What was interesting is then it opened up a whole other conversation around why I thought God was real, why I thought he was good. Uh, we, got onto, we got onto a question about where evil comes from, and because it's the question you get to, how does a good God allow evil? Um, but his standing point was, there's no way you believe this stuff. And actually, we need to share these stories in our cynical world. And we need to be able to locate them. We're going to come on to why we have ups and downs and life doesn't quite make sense. But we need to trust in that God is good. Creation was made good. And you and I, there's something unique about us because we have the image of God and the breath of life in us. Um, just a very quick thing to think about how you, how you hold on to those truths is... Um, Eve doesn't quite get the words of the Lord right. And actually, if you read the Old Testament, it's very clear that the word of the Lord is really important. The man who meditates or the man or woman who meditates on his word. It's like a tree planted by streams of living water. And this book, meditating on this book, draws me back into the goodness of who God is. The goodness of what he has done is doing. Um, and, and the uniqueness of me made in his image. Um, do I meditate on this book? Jesus used this book when the devil came to tempt him. Um, are we people of the book? Because actually, um, creation is good. God is good. Secondly, creation has fallen. Um, eight, this is, I got this from verse uh, 8 to uh, 19. Um, so Genesis is very clear that there's a shift that has happened in, in, in how our created order operates. Um, so mess... Uh, in terms of when we end up with kind of evil and suffering and pain and everything, is not part of the created order as a biblical understanding. It is due to a willful act of rebellion. A willful act of rebellion. And the consequences, I, I don't have time to go into them depth, but the consequences that are listed by the Lord God to, to the serpent, to the woman, and to Adam, are, the word is talionic. It kind of means, it's where we get the word retaliation from, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But what it means in this bit is, is actually because of what they have done, uh, there's a kind of, there's, a, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Um, and, and actually, in that, we see that this shift comes in the created order. So from relationship to alienation from one another and from God, from being in a garden in a, pleasure, in a place of pleasure to, to being in a world full of pain, from being in a garden of abundance to being sent out into a place of uh, toil, from life with the breath of God to dust you will return. And actually, it's really crucial for, for how we understand us and our lives and the stuff that we go through is that most of the stuff we go through is not how God intended it to be. Is not how God intended it to be. The pain of your life, the sickness of your life, the sorrows of your life is not how God intended it to be. So to get to why we have pain, sickness and sorrows, we need what is called a theodicy. 
Uh, it means basically an explanation of where evil came from. Irenaeus had a go at this. I'm not, I'm not going to agree with him, but I'm going to let you know that there's other ways, and then I'm going to tell you who I agree with. And he said that basically God has created the best of all possible worlds, uh, and, and in that best of all possible worlds, world, suffering and pain, etc., exist for us to become all that we could be. That's, um, there's probably people here who've got a PhD on Irenaeus' uh, theology and gone, well, he's really done that really badly in 60 seconds. Come and find me later on. But basically, God's created the best of all possible worlds. Pain and suffering are part of how you and I could be all that we can be, except that the text says, after he made man or humans, and he saw that it was very good. So he doesn't kind of... So Augustine, who, who I'm going to kind of line up with, um, said that actually God is perfectly good. Morally, he is good uh, and that actually rebellion and free will came because of because of us and actually um, another philosopher called uh, Alvin Pantica sort of picking up on Augustine talks about how part of God's moral goodness is, is that actually your and my free will the serpent's free will is part of the created order that in his moral goodness God has made an open and dynamic world in which you and I are given free will and then he chooses to operate within what he has created. Plantica sort of says it like this. God invented circles, and then he decided a circle couldn't be square. You know, um, because actually that's kind of how it works. So actually your and I free will is part of God's moral goodness. But it does come, therefore, with a consequence. Um, and it is important, um, Blosher, my French friend, would say it is really important, however we get there, and you can read Blosch's book about how he gets there to uh, sort of about 40,000 years ago and a, a, a kind of, a, you know, a shift in humanity uh, that meant that it was then possible to walk with God. But Blosch says, however you get there, it is still important that you, that you get to the fall. Um, he says this, he says, affirmation of, of the disobedience in Eden as a real event or occurrence at a specific moment in time has been part of church, there's his, here's his word again, dogma, church teaching from the start. Blosher says, it is an essential part of which we shall be wise to maintain. And then he links that to um, Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 12. Therefore, as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Blosher's point is that actually um, we understand that actually sin entered the world through one man or through this, this occurrence, this act of rebellion. And therefore death then reigned. And then Paul will go on to say that life, forgiveness has come through one man, the second Adam. If we begin to unpick our view of how we got here, and we begin to, um, and I'm not saying you have to have a literal Adam and Eve, but if you get to a point where you go, I don't think there was a fall um, you begin to kind of, James alluded to this last week, you begin to kind of pull away at the rest of Scripture, and then you begin to pull away at um, the very cross and resurrection itself. Um, and there are things, that, you know, you, the, you, because actually there's stuff that goes on in our faith that doesn't make sense. So you can say, I can't quite get how you would get to human beings who could have a willful act of occurrence, and I, I don't quite have see, seen the proof for that outside of the text. You go, great, excellent. And then you could go, but I don't quite get, you know, I've, I've never seen a dead person come back to life. So I don't quite get how a dead person could come back to life and then ascend into heaven. It's not been proved. There's enough history evidence around it, but it's not been proved. So, so actually, some of these themes that come out of scripture are really very important for us to hold on to. What it does is it, 
leads us to this concept that creation is good and that it has fallen, if we get that, leads us to look for a rescue and leads us to take responsibility. So um, in terms of, if, in my mental health journey, one of the key moments for me was learning to take responsibility for what goes on inside my head. Does that make sense? I had to take responsibility. It doesn't mean that there's a whole load of other things of people who have da-da-da-da, but I had to say, actually, what goes on inside my head goes on inside my head. I'm, I'm responsible for that. And actually, for me, that was a real step forward in terms of change and healing and wholeness. And actually, if we're going to step into the forgiveness that Jesus offers us and the truth of the cross, we have to step into taking responsibility for the fact that the most of the way the world is, is because of our rebellion. Because of our rebellion. Creation has changed, has fallen. Paul says all of creation groans, awaiting its redemption. It was good and it has fallen. And that's why we work for change. It's why we pray for the environment. Because actually it's not a system that's just kind of seeing what's going to happen next. And one day, you know, maybe we'll wipe ourselves out and it'll reset. Actually, it's, it's, it's the theater of God's glory, according to Calvin. We are made in his image and we are called to make it as amazing as we possibly can. And that's why the church should be in the forefront of justice. It's where justice comes from. And in the forefront of, of caring for the planet because of how we understand it and because of how we understand it got here. Creation is good. Creation has fallen. Creation has a future. Um, this is a really key thing about our understanding about um, how we got here. Um, have a look at verse 20. So in verse 19... The Lord says, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. If you've, ever, if you've got children, you've ever given out to them. At that point, everybody's feet looking at the floor, and everybody's like, and, uh, and I've, never, I've never either A, as a child, or B, as a grown-up being given out to, or B, with my own children, kind of like gone, gone da 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 bump, and then my child has responded with a really positive statement, going, you know, you know that does, generally it doesn't happen. Does that happen in anybody else's house? Where you go, you've da 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 and the child goes, oh, thank you so much. I think you're amazing, Daddy, Mummy. Uh, happened in anybody's house? No. Okay. Adam's response, God says, dust you are, to dust you will return. Up until now, she's been called the woman. Verse 20, Adam names his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. What we sometimes miss in the creative narrative is that actually we go, oh, it's all about God's punishing them. He's kicking them out of the garden and he's yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. And actually he's named the consequences and Adam's response is to say, this woman is going to be called Eve because she is going to bring life. And we often miss the positive aspect of what's going on in the expulsion. Adam anticipates that what has just happened is not always going to be the case. In the midst of hearing dust to dust, he celebrates life over death. And and I want to submit to you that he heads out of the garden anticipating a good future, even if it is not a good future that he will see. Um, Why aren't they allowed to eat the, the tree from the fruit that would keep them living forever? Because actually they've fallen into sin and they're going to cause an absolute mess. And actually it's an act of grace of the Lord to say, actually, I think, I think if you don't live forever, it's going to be best for all concerned. I'm going to do something else so you can live forever. Um, and any view that we hold of creation must be headed towards this sense of anticipation, creation groaning, awaiting its final redemption or consummation return to how things are supposed to be. And there's a clue, a famous clue in the text about how that's going to happen. Adam and Eve 
naked. Uh, and they try and uh, they try and make some clothes out of fig leaves. Fig leaves aren't, you know, they're okay. But then the Lord, they try and do, they try and cover their shame and their guilt and their pain in their own strength, which is what most of our culture is doing. And the Lord does it better. He clothes them with skins. The death of another, as they go out into the, from the garden, is covering their shame and their guilt and their nakedness. Jesus, Paul tells us is our second Adam. The death of another covers our shame and our nakedness. And we know that through Jesus and through the Spirit and Pentecost, that the kingdom of the end, the consummation, the end of creation actually has come to us. So it's not just headed out like Adam in anticipation, this one day might happen, but actually we experience it in us. The Spirit of God in us. The kingdom of God come. The theologian Robert Jensen calls um, the Holy Spirit God of the end, God of the telos, God of the end, come to us now so that we may experience eternity and begin to experience the life that is to come now. That's why we are committed to pursuing his presence and to being filled with the Holy Spirit. So I don't know... um, if I've helped. <laughs> um, there's a load of people here as I look at who know an awful lot more about a lot of this than I do. Um, but what I do know uh, is that, that this book tells me that God created a good creation, a good God made a good creation, and that he made you and I special within it. This book tells me that we messed it up, that we fell, and that we actually kind of destroyed creation, tried to take it down with us. And this book tells me that God hasn't left it there, that his good creation has a good future. Another writer, a man called Charles Taylor, wrote a book called The Secular Age. And his thinking was, how did the world shift from 1500, where the default position for absolutely everybody was faith, to roughly the year 2000, where the default position for everybody was doubt? And thinking about that book, another man called Andrew Sullivan wrote uh, that God is dead and there is no return. And by that he meant, actually, we can't get back to 1500. Uh, We have to live where we are now. And in a world and a culture full of meaning-making machines who are seriously anxious and trying to hear and find a better story, there are people who know that God is not dead. There are people that know that God is good and that he created once, and he's doing it again. And the calling on you and I is to be filled with the spirit of the end, to be filled with the spirit of of, of the new creation, and to go out and to live out and to share that story, knowing kind of the themes of how we got here, how we got in the mess we're in, and how Jesus is getting us out. People need meaning, and we believe we have it. Amen. Shall we pray? Would you like to stand?